Welcome to the You, Me, We Amplified podcast, interviews with women leading social impact, hosted by Suzanne F. Stevens, international speaker, author, and multi-award-winning social entrepreneur and founder of the You, Me, We Social Impact Group. Enjoy the wisdom that will be a compass on how to make your contribution count for you, your organization, and your community. Welcome to You, Me, We Amplified Podcast. I'm Suzanne F. Stevens, your host, and welcome to those joining live or watching the recording. This episode is sponsored by You, Me, We Community, Women Leading Social Impact. If you have a social impact and want to grow it, you and your business as well, visit the community tab at youmewe.ca. I'm so excited to have our guest today, and I want to welcome Sarah Dunkley, the founder of Beautiful World Canada Foundation. Sarah is also the president of Stellar Outdoor Advertising and Santa's Village, and I remember Santa's Village very fondly, Sarah. (laughs) Sarah's social initiative, Beautiful World Canada, improves access to education for marginalized girls and women in Africa. They provide scholarships, enhancing social support, increased knowledge and skills of financial management, health and nutrition, employment, and creating businesses. They have helped just under 850 students since 2011. As an avid supporter myself of this phenomenal foundation and coming to you all the way from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, welcome, Sarah. It's great to see you again. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. It's a pleasure to interview you as you and I have been talking about women in Africa for such a long time now. I think we both started around 2011, around the same time, and you've really just made such a huge impact. So I look at you with such admiration and so glad to take more opportunity to share you with my network of people who could learn a ton about how to manage. Do you have two kids? Three boys. Okay. (laughs) Three boys. (laughs) Three boys, two companies, and a charity. So we'll start by focusing on the charity itself, and we'll get into some of the other things a little later on. So what was the catalyst for you to start Beautiful World in the first place? I was looking for something to add purpose to my life. I really enjoy running my business and I love being an entrepreneur. Uh, But at the time I started Beautiful World, I was looking for something new that really felt like it was an opportunity to, instead of complain about things that were going on in the world, but actually try to make the world a better place. So it was like my attempt to practice what I preach and not, not complain, but actually do something about it. So it was really rooted in that purpose and passion. And For me and the community that I grew up near Aurelia, but the opportunity to attend higher education and go to university was the door opener. And I look at a lot of us where we are, and it's the opportunity, the education, the confidence, and the doors that degree opened for me. So I I look at my background, and I really credit the education that I received here in Canada as giving me the opportunity that I've had. And I really saw that as one of the missing pieces in Africa for girls to have the opportunity to become the women and leaders that they want to be. And for me, I felt like that was a piece that made sense to change the experience of one woman at a time and and to have them have the opportunity to graduate, get a good job that has a great income, support their families, support their children and really change the trajectory for their families. 
So how did you identify that as a social gap in the first place? We hear it's a gap, but how did you personally identify that women's higher education was something that was needed? Back in 2010 and 2009, I actually went to a lot of Canadian organizations and I was looking to, I wasn't looking to start Beautiful World at that time. I was looking to find an organization that was already in this space doing what I wanted to do. And I found a lot of organizations at that time really focused on primary education and filling that gap, which is a very needed, necessary gap. Absolutely. But I wasn't finding organizations that were involved in the higher education piece. I could barely find organizations that were working in the high school space, let alone working at the university space. It just really wasn't something they were solving other challenges and other problems. So it's through that. I think being an entrepreneur, we think that we can get into these projects, we get very motivated and excited about them and we start them. And that kind of starts the ball rolling or that decision to start actually started the ball rolling for me and trying to figure out how to do what I wanted to do, finding the partners and and figuring it all out. So interesting. I think you and I, the fact that you and I found each other is a miracle in itself. And we found our, our, each other through a friend of ours it, because exactly what you did, you said you were looking at all these people that were doing incredible work. And yet I couldn't find anybody either who was trying <laughs> to put women through higher education. And for me, it's really about creating uh, women leaders. So it is amazing that we found each other and I'm so glad we did. This episode is sponsored by the YumiWe community, Women Leaving Social Impact. If you're a woman-identified or non-binary social contributor and you want more, more meaning, more connection, more growth, and more social impact, the YumiWe one-of-a-kind community is for you. Visit the community at yumiwe.ca, where we, well, you, converge your power to empower others. Talk about Beautiful World and how you empower marginalized girls and women beyond the education, because you have a, a specific system that you look at in order to provide those scholarships. Could you talk about that? Absolutely. So a scholarship for Beautiful World is a very comprehensive scholarship. And how I would indicate is that our students are coming from extremely marginalized, vulnerable situations. A lot of the students in our program are orphans, maybe being raised by a grandmother uh, or an aunt. So they're really coming to our programs barely with shoes. They might have one outfit. They live in houses that are one room without any hydro, without any running water. They'll be gathering wood to cook their to cook their food. So in order to bring them to university and have them be successful, they really need everything. So we say tuition to toothpaste. So it's they get a stipend that they can use to buy clothing and to buy their personal supplies and their food. And they get everything that they need to go to school. So the school fees and internship fees, that type of thing. They get transportation to and from school. They get accommodations, so a safe place to live while they're at school. And that's just the starting point. The next kind of part of our program is really supporting their emotional needs while they're in school. And that's done through a mentor. So they're matched with a mentor and the mentors come through education. They're successful. They're newly established in their careers or established in their careers. 
And they're really providing that emotional support to the student that they've been matched with. Our students don't have someone in their family that went to university, so there's not someone they can go to and get advice. And when they encounter challenges and struggles, they don't have that person. And even sometimes we get told that our mentors will actually go to school when the schools have events for parents and families to go. And that will be the person that represents them and and makes them feel really good when those mentors come and support them in that way because they feel like, I'm just like everybody else. I have a family that's there for me at the school, which is really tremendous. Our program partners also provide a ton of emotional support. So they're going to visit the students. They're checking in on them. If the students have a problem, they're WhatsApping them at whatever time of the day or night it is to get help and support and guidance. So that's on the emotional side. We also have a graduation preparation program. So our objective isn't just to have students graduate with post-secondary education. It's that they're now ready to join the job market and they know how to do that. So that particular program is about networking. It's resumes, cover letters, interview questions. How do you even go about finding a job? Once you get a job, what do you need to do in order to keep the job? So job etiquette. And that's been one of the programs that's been really critical to our students. And actually one of the parts of the program that they've enjoyed the most, even though we make them do financial literacy assignments and open bank accounts and and stuff like that. A new part of our program, which we're really excited about, and which we'll be launching this year, is education about sexual and reproductive health. So I think that's going to be really exciting. And we found a local organization that works in Uganda and Rwanda to teach that education. So it will be locally developed and deal with some really interesting topics. And I think really provide the girls guidance and advice and knowledge that they wouldn't have anywhere else or wouldn't have received it in their schools so far. So I think it'll be a really helpful additive to our program. Congratulations on that. That's incredible. Every time I've spoken to you, there's just more and more that you've added (laughs) on. And so pretend I am somebody that knows nothing about uh, a foundation. I want to create a foundation. Can you Guide me through perhaps how I would start that and and then how to embed it with my business. So we'll just start with the foundation for now. How would I do that? Absolutely. So it's a legal process. For me, it was a legal process. So it's getting together with a lawyer who works on establishing foundations, going through at that point in time, it was a lot of paperwork and establishing a small board of directors with the people in love the most. So you put your friends and family on your first board and you go forward with them with a great lawyer. You go through a lot of paperwork and then you wait in line and you have a mission and mandate. You write it broadly as you can because you have an idea of what you want to do, but you want to leave it open enough that you're not really pigeonholing yourself into something very specific. You want to be wide enough that it gives you the ability to do a lot of things and change and adapt as you go. Your mission and mandate does form something that you can't change easily. So you got to be careful not to be too specific. You want to be a little bit more broad. For Beautiful World, it was a long wait. And my first step was, okay, I'm going to get Beautiful World charity status done. And I thought, okay, I have 18 months to do this. So no problem. I can figure it all out once I get the charity status. But for some reason, for me, it came a lot faster than I thought it was going to. So I think 
I remember we were on vacation in Florida and I came back and I had a letter that I had charity status. And I was like, okay, now it's go time. Now I have to figure out and do what I said I was going to do. So at that point in time, I think once you have charity status, you have your foundation in whatever format is best for you to establish it as. Beautiful World is registered as a Canadian charity that gives money internationally. That's how we've been set up. But the next part is figuring out how to do what you want to do. And my guidance and advice would be to find people that know how to do what you want to do, bring them onto your team and set up the programs properly with them. And that's what I did. I was lucky enough when I first started Beautiful World to have an amazing woman who had been worked with Stephen Lewis Foundation. I had these ideas of what I want to do. I want to do these scholarships and I want to do them in all these countries. I had no idea how to do it. And the beautiful thing was that she knew exactly how to do it and what the structure was and legally how to structure it and how do we identify partners? How do we do due diligence to make sure those partners can run our program successfully? And she knew how to do all that. So I think as you're starting, I think get some expertise from experts that know how to do what you want to do. Bring in lots of people that know and, and specialize in different things. So another thing that we did initially was we brought in a person that does monitoring and evaluation visits and She does pre-grant visits and post-grant visits in Africa. So I can't go and visit every program that I want to consider funding. And even if I did, as I was first setting up, I wouldn't even know what to look for. Who do I speak to? How do I even go about doing that? She knew exactly how to do that. So she could go in and evaluate the programs and really from an independent eye where that's her role is these evaluations. So she knows what she's doing. So I think that's the key is really find those people that know how to do what you want to do. Because I think it, it makes it easier as well as you're going to make mistakes, but you're not going to make as many of them because the learning process won't be as difficult and challenging as it could be without them. Now, did you ever do a community assessment prior to even deciding that you will start a foundation? I did a lot of work into the statistics on the countries that I was looking at supporting. And the statistics on higher education, especially back in 2011, were so dismal. Even women's literacy rates were very dismal. For me, it was a very obvious step that was necessary and needed. I think that in order to have women leaders in um, a society, they have to have the opportunity of going to higher education. They need to become the business leaders, the doctors, the bankers, the lawyers, the marketers. Like They need to have those roles and be at those tables But in order for them to get to those tables, they have to get the correct credentials so they have the abilities and talents and knowledge for when they get there, they can be effective. Amen to that. (laughs) Very well said. (laughs) This episode is sponsored by Make Your Contribution Count for You, Me, We, a book written by Suzanne F. Stevens. It's time to act. Let this book be your compass to having a sustainable social impact while living your most meaningful life. Visit youmewe.ca slash book for more information. Thanks for listening. Now back to the podcast. What would you recommend prior to working in a country other than your own? You've mentioned partnering with other people. Is there anything else that you would recommend far as due diligence or anything for that matter when working with a country that you're not as familiar with? Yeah, absolutely. And and I can talk about that through an experience that we just had with Beautiful World. And we decided that we wanted to grow our programs to support 
uh, students in Zambia and we hadn't worked in Zambia before. So the first step that we did is we reached out to organizations in Canada who work in Zambia and we said, are there some programs or partners that you really like working with? You mean, we're looking for referrals of organizations, other Canadian people are working with and they like working with them and they find that they do great work and they can submit all the receipts and reports and everything that the Canadian government requires so they can meet the standards. That was a starting point for us was actually reaching out to Canadian organizations and asking for referrals and recommendations. And I do find the the folks that are in the sector doing international work, it's not a big group. The nice part about the group is that you can pick up the phone and call organizations, ask for that kind of advice, and they're very willing to give it. I think if they have a good partner, what our experience has been that they're happy to share that partner with another organization. It's for recognition that we're all on the same team. So we're all on the team of eliminating poverty and addressing the sustainable development goals but we all do different things to get that to happen. And we're all needed in that journey for the world to be a better place. So I think it's a recognition that we're not competitors. We're on the same team trying to make these things happen. The suggestions have been really good. Then the next stage for us in the due diligence process is to send our monitoring and evaluation person who does the pre-grant visits to go to these organizations. And she has a detailed process she follows. She'll meet with the beneficiaries they're currently supporting. She'll meet with their staff. She'll meet with their board of directors. She goes through their filing cabinet and looks to make sure they have the proper receipts and everything matches up. Like She's really looking for an organization that's very well established. But even we have some organizations that have come to us that are volunteer run. So they're one of the organizations in Zambia that we're supporting is volunteer run and organized. And, you know, even then, like we can still make it work, even if they don't have full-time team or staff, it's just that we need to make sure that they're at the point that they can handle the rigor of reporting that we need as a Canadian organization. There are a lot of requirements. There's a lot of reporting. There's a lot of financial reports, receipts, report cards, that type of thing that we need on a regular basis to know that our programs are performing well. So for us, we need to know we have a partner that can deliver all those things so that we ensure that we meet the standards uh, that we have, as well as we can, with sending money internationally as a charity, there's regulations that you have to follow, CRA regulations. So we need to be on side and make sure that every partner we're working with can meet those regulations that the Canadian government has. And you really do rely on those partners, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. Would, you, would you recommend, I'm going to dive into partner, partnership a little bit more a little later on. Would you recommend someone start a foundation if they have an idea, they see a social gap? Would that be the recommendation or would you recommend something else? I'm not totally sure. And I think it my, my not sureness comes from a couple of reasons. I think It's getting harder and harder to get a charity established and it's becoming more and more expensive to run a registered charity in Canada. You don't have to have very much donations until your full audit and a charity audit, even for a small organization, is close to a $10,000 expense. So it's, I think it's managing the, the compliance, the government regulations, the cost of being a charity and really balancing it and making that decision based on the timelines, the cost to set up, the cost of doing the financial reporting doesn't make sense. So that's why I would say if there's an opportunity to work with an existing organization that's in the space that you're doing, come on as a board of director, work with them on developing a program, that's the route I would recommend first. And then I would recommend the route of of starting an organization. Because I think 
it's a lot of work running a charity. There's a lot of compliance and regulations and audit. And it just, I think back when I started in 2011, it wasn't as complicated as it is now, but now it's quite complicated. Yeah, I love your advice. I, I talk about this in my book, Make Your Contribution Count for You, Me, We. We also don't need to be the one to start a foundation. We don't have to be the one. Now, if it's beyond our ego that is driving us to do it, <laughs> the reality is there are a lot of foundations already out there seeking money to achieve an objective. And the more we continue creating new charities, the more we start splintering the opportunity for people to donate. As you started right off the front end, there wasn't a lot of people in this space when you and I started. Because of that is why I started. My foundation is very different than yours because you are a registered charity. I am not. And there's ways to go under another foundation. And those are, that's what I often recommend to people to do, actually, is instead of taking on this burden, because we haven't even talked about yet, again, three boys, two businesses and a charity. We haven't even got there yet. So there's a lot of time and effort. And a lot of people are doing things that you may actually be able to connect to. And they have a system in place that's working. You don't need to recreate it. Yeah, I, I would also <laughs> add that not only do charities need your donations, they also need new energy. They need new enthusiasm. They need new ways of looking at problems. They always need more people coming on board that are passionate about what they do and joining the team in a way of really coming and wanting to contribute. So I think that's also really necessary. So it's not just the the money that's needed. It's also the time and talent that's needed and the passion. When new people come to Beautiful World as board members or volunteers, and they're enthusiastic and they're passionate. It's they're absolutely breath of fresh to the organization because it can get very difficult. There's always a lot to do. And when you can share the work and you have someone super excited to do it, it's really awesome. So I think for organizations that exist, they don't just need the money. They also need the, the willingness to come aboard and help and contribute and bring your passions, bring your talents to that organization. If you're great at social media marketing and that's your passion, then you bring that skill to the organization. I think there's a lot of small organizations that they really do amazing work and with some talent and pe the right people joining, I think it really makes a difference to those organizations, their sustainability, as well as their ability to scale up their programs. I would say to, I would say to women, it's not just their money, your money that they need. Let's dive right into boards. How many people do you have on your board? 10. Now, yeah. how did you started with family and friends, as you said, and I believe it's involved from there, has it not? We have a board of 10 and we have nine women and one man. So the reverse of a lot of what you read about boards, boards. very non-traditional board. My board member is comprised of people from different sectors and industries. And there is a mutual passion for the work we do. Some of them have been with Beautiful World for a very long time and they all contribute in very different ways. But I think the the nice thing about board members, and for me anyway, is like when you're having a problem or a challenge, you want to be able to pick up the phone and get advice from somebody you can trust, and they'll have your back, but they'll be honest with you about what you need to do and really offer some alternative views than what you have. And I think that if you have that in your board, that's that's a really great, successful board. But there's also other functions they're doing. They're fundraising, they're organizing events, which is amazing. But for me, it's I want to know that I can pick up the phone and rely on their talent and ability, and they're going to give great suggestions and advice. 
And you mentioned about different roles. Do you have any advice on how to get on a board of a, a charity so that people that may be looking for an opportunity to expand their contribution, but don't want to start a foundation. Is there any advice that you have for that? I think maybe Charity Village does postings of board members. I think that's the organization that you can actually go and search up uh, board member postings. I think if there's an organization that you are really interested in, I think the first step is having a meeting, getting to know the organization, maybe you're donating to that organization and you already have a relationship. And then I think it's just to have that conversation with the management team indicating your interest. Put your hat in the ring, right? Put your name out there. Let them know that's what you want. I think if you know the organization, you think that's a good fit for you and where you want to be, you have an idea. I think as charities, if there's people out there and we know they want to participate, they, we know they want to volunteer, they want to contribute. If the opportunities are there, we're definitely opening the doors to them because we need people who are passionate, who want to help. If you or contributing to the charity can also help that you have a relationship with them because board members by, by nature want to uh, be able to know that they're going to connect with somebody and they're not just prior to becoming a board member so that they can work together as well. Absolutely. Now, now, let's talk about some of your, your partnerships, because sustainability is such an important thing. And I know you rely on your partnerships tremendously, as you already alluded to, is to ensure that you're staying abreast of what's going on. And they, they are really the first point of contact to the beneficiaries, correct? Our program partners are the ones really running our programs. So we don't have Beautiful World staff from Canada in our communities running our programs. Our programs are all run by people from the community that they're that they they live in the communities that we're supporting. They've got relationships in the communities. They know the situation and challenges that are taking place in the community. And I think for us, because we work in a variety of countries, that's really important. Each one of our countries is completely different. Regulations, culture, extremely different values and, and what everything looks like. For us, we really rely on them for everything. They do the initial student selection. Beautiful World has criteria. We do a final review of all the applications to make sure that everything matches out and then at that point in time, this, the students come into our scholarship program and their program manager who works at the local partner is their point of contact. They'll be the, the program manager will be making sure their tuition's paid, they have a safe place to live, they have accommodation, sending their stipend out to their bank account on whatever frequency basis that it's required, collect their report cards to make sure they're passing. But really critically, be that point of contact for the students when they're having problems and that's really critical. I think we've had a lot of situations where students, families, there is a lot of pressure to get married in the countries we work in. As young women, there's a lot of pressure. And the pressure doesn't end when the students join the scholarship program. The pressure continues. And in some cases, our program managers are having to come in and, and to really negotiate with families to try to keep the student in school and deal with all sorts of circumstances and challenges that have arisen to help these students stay in school. I'll get asked, what's the critical ingredient? And I think one of the critical ingredients of Beautiful World Success is these local people that really look out for the students. They know them by name, they know who they are, and the students have someone they can call no matter what taking place the challenge they have somebody who has their back why did you name your charity beautiful world your organization's name should match what you do nobody looks at beautiful world and gets what you do there was a lot of board members and a lot of people had a lot of reservations about our name 
So I was really contemplating changing it. And then I went to Africa. I think it was the second trip that I had to Africa. And I was touring the girls' dorm rooms. And they're like, oh, yeah, this is the beautiful world dorm room. We're the beautiful girls. And it was just interesting because it was like the the aspect of how the way the world could be, all the aspirational things about the name. It was like they got it. And it was so amazing to see. I came back and said, I cannot change the name of this organization. Like the people that I'm working with locally get it. So at that point in time, I thought, okay, we have to, we'll find a way to embrace it and deal with the challenge of people not understanding what we do. The students were really, it meant something to them and they really got the aspirational value. That is such a great story. And it's such a great story because it focused actually eventually on the beneficiary and what they wanted. And that's such an important message when you are establishing a charity, a foundation, any nonprofit is what does the beneficiary actually want? What did they resonate with? Sometimes we fall on it, right? (laughs) Which, Which leads to a question of what are the two most challenging hurdles to sustain your social impact? I think... The first one becomes, oh, that's, there's so many. (laughs) I think these organizations, sometimes it feels really easy and all things come and check into place and it's really great. And then other times you go through where it feels, I guess the metaphor I would use is like pushing a boulder up a mountain and you're moving it up very slowly and very difficultly. And I think that's maybe the first thing I would say is that the the experience of a charity or my experience has not been that it's like a nice steady ride. It's like a roller coaster. I'm in the amusement park industry. I'm riding a roller coaster and I'm going up and down hills and there's so much adrenaline and there's so much uh, fear. So the analogy of the roller coaster kind of fits in quite nicely. So there's times where it's just really hard and what needs to get done to move it forward can be really difficult. When you say it's things were really hard, can you be a little more specific? Sometimes it's funding. Sometimes it's program partnerships. Sometimes we have an idea of how things need to run and we have budgets that we need to adhere to. And the challenge of getting um, that to work with our local program partners. We'll have some students that will be with us for several years and will drop out because they've been forced into a marriage and There's no way to get them back. That's the situation. You can have several years and see a student have so much promise, but that doesn't mean that you're going to ensure that they're going to be successful. You can do all those things and still have unsuccessful outcomes. And we do, which is really unfortunate. The partnering to produce results is awesome. And, but it's not always easy. We work with countries where there's very different value systems, ways of doing business, understanding of terms and finding ways to always have agreement, especially when you're working in different countries and different time zones where you can only see each other, each other during COVID, it's been online Zoom. That part can sometimes be a challenge. Funding wise, that's also has been a really big challenge for us. So it's finding the right program partners, the right donors that are wanting to be in the space. And I think like there has been a lot of challenges. I, I think of the what's taken place with we has made it a little bit harder because I think people had we as an organization on such a pedestal. And when the pedestal dismantled or fell apart the way it did, it really brought a lot of skepticism to what's taking place in the program. Are the are these organizations what they say they are? Do they really help the people on the ground? So that's been some of the big hurdles and challenges. To that point, they also, that was during the pandemic as well. Raising funds during the pandemic 
I would imagine, Sarah, hard enough? <laughs> it's really hard. And I think I'm not alone, but there's lots of charities. Like Beautiful World depended on in-person events. We used to do a breakfast event and an annual gala, and they raised a lot of our money. And most importantly, it was an opportunity for us to bring somebody from our program partners or a student, or we bring someone remarkable to present on this topic. And it was really an opportunity for people to really hear from the person that was being impacted by the work. And they were hearing from them in person, which is a little different than being on a Zoom call and hearing them in Zoom. So it took a while to adapt. Like we did see a significant decline in donations from going into 2020 from 2019 because the the in-person events that a lot of charities, including Beautiful World, relied on were cancelled. And we're really having to be creative about how do we continue to have our donors still be passionate about helping Africa, especially when back in 2020, Canadian hospitals didn't have enough PPE equipment. There was uh, women's shelters were struggling. Like there were so many organizations here in Canada where the struggle was so real. Like there was a real need for donors to focus on Canada. It just became difficult. We had a lot of granting organizations that discontinued their funding with us. And they said, our hospitals don't have PPE equipment. How can we not have our hospitals have PPE? We have to solve this need first before we can solve the need for scholarships in Africa. And and I get it. How are you managing? Because you are a donation-based organization. How are you managing to continue funding? Or are you? We switch to really trying to have our donors uh, meet with our local program partners by Zoom. So we were setting up Zoom meetings and we've been really lucky. In 2020, we've been uh, the recipient of a Global Affairs Canada grant. So we've been trying for government funding for about five or six years. And This grant is two years in the making, but it's a really huge opportunity for us. So we just put our first students into this grant program through our local partners in November. So now we have students that are sponsored by the government of Canada, which is really incredible. And for us, it's an amazing, sustainable way forward. I think it's the credibility that comes when when your programs are funded by the government because the rigor of audit and process and evaluations and results. It's really intense. But for Beautiful World, it's a real opportunity. It's not just the funding we're getting from this grant, but it's also the capacity building and knowledge. Having to figure out how are we going to measure results of all these different things that we're doing to indicate that they're important to our success. So it's a really amazing learning opportunity and one that we're really embracing and our local partners are really embracing to not only have this funding, but then make our program stronger and better and be able to speak to those results of the program. So it's an exciting time. And for us, it means so much. I think funding for charity is probably the biggest thing that keeps charities up at night is that funding piece. And how do you, how do you continue to fund this organization? And, you know, our program partners will have wait lists of hundreds of students. And it's always oh, these hundreds of students that want to go to school and we want them to go to school. It's always a tug of, you can do more with more money, but how do you get more money and how do you have more people know and understand and are motivated and inspired to give to your programs? It's challenging. Good for you for looking at other alternatives. We've all had to pivot uh, <laughs> one, way, one way or another and being in the live event business, I hear you. So what advice can you provide to somebody who wants to 
make a conscious contribution to a beneficiary. As a donor, it's important to give with your passion. What is the, if you look at all those sustainable development goals, all those number of them, you know, what are the ones that you're most passionate about? What are you interested in? And I think what I would say is if you're giving to something that you're passionate about and something that inspires you, that's going to be the donations that you're going to really enjoy making. And you're going to be feeling and experiencing as a donor that you're making a difference in the world. And I think that's really important. I remember I participated in a seminar and there was this person from the organization that was presenting, I think it was from the Ford Foundation. They were presenting about, they had an analogy of a river. And they said as donors, like strategic, you were talking about strategic philanthropy. And they said, okay, imagine you're at a river and there's all this stuff coming down the river and you're standing at the riverbed and you just pull things out of the river as they come down. So you can continue to do that as a donor, solving the down the stream, the problems, or you can go up the river and figure out why is all this stuff falling in the river and solve that problem. So I think as strategic, it just depends on where your interest is. But I would always say if, if you can solve the up the river problem to address why the challenges are taking place, you know, that's always an interesting thing to do if you encounter these challenges in society. It's, I think the interesting question is when society is experiencing a challenge and a struggle and we're seeing hardship, I think the question is why is this taking place? What is in society? What's the cause of these problems? And I think if you can address the what's the cause of these problems. I think that's a, a really interesting space to be in. Very challenging to figure out. I think if we all could figure out the cause of these challenging societal problems, and if, if it was easy to fix, it would already be fixed. But that's an interesting space to be is if you can solve those kind of problems. I think I would say that in the world of not-for-profits, I think you'll see a lot of organizations out there and they'll promise amazing results and a little bit of money and you can change all these lives. And I think to really take somebody out of poverty, one of my things that I'm most passionate about is how do you have somebody come out of a life of poverty? How does that happen? And I think it's not an easy thing. Like I think of each one of our students and I think of the schools they go to and the scholarships they've received from other organizations and the healthcare from different organizations and they are where they are, but it's been so many organizations that have contributed to their success. We're with them for that final leg of the journey while they're in university, but it's been a lot of organizations that have been there with them, standing with them. How does a mother of three boys run two businesses and a charity at once. What is your secret and any insight that you can provide other women that want to contribute more, but really just don't have the bandwidth to do it? I think the most important thing for me has been, I have amazing teams in my business. So I've got a great group of people that I love working with and the people who are in my businesses and helping me manage them and the leaders in those organizations, they're incredible people. And I have something with my employees. I say, you know what, I trust you to make a decision, but if you need me, I'm here, call me. I'm happy to, if you want to bounce the idea, if you want an opinion, you want my advice, I'm happy to do it. But if you need to make a call, then I'm going to have your back. I'm going to, I'm going to understand why you made that decision, if it goes well or it goes badly. So I think that's part of it. I think part of it is delegation. I have to stay very organized. So I'm one of those paper planner people. I'm not like the computerized, I actually have it on paper, the things that I have to do each day. I track I, who did I give what assignment to when am I expecting that to come back? 
And I think in, in my business, I try to do the stuff that I'm really passionate about. So the projects, the, the different things that are happening, I try to money, my, money of the time, my team can do something, but it's like, what is the stuff that I'm passionate about and I'm excited about and what stuff do I really enjoy doing? And that's the kind of task that I take on in my business is I take on some really strange stuff, but I really enjoy it. Well, and then I think... The only last thing I would say is you deal with the most important thing at the time, right? So if the most important thing and pressing thing at the moment is something one of my sons needs, or it's something my business needs, or it's something my foundation needs, I'm getting those things out of the way before I'm tackling it. And I've gotten used to you just wear multiple hats a day and you flip from thing to thing. And that's been kind of part of my process for many years. So I've become used to it. And your boys, how old are they? 14, 12, and 8. I don't think most of us can handle that. And that's really sound advice. So thank you for that. Entrepreneurs often have a hard time delegating. And one of the things that I've heard many times from many women that are entrepreneurs say or acknowledge that they're not good at delegating because that perfectionist impulse is they have to have their hands on everything. So the fact that you're able to trust and let go is hats off to you because it's a great leadership skill to be able to do that, not only for your businesses, but also for your mental health, <laughs> which is really important. I'd love to add one thing. And Please. I was really lucky. The more I delegated to my team and I delegated out tasks they were really good at, I found the better my business did because they were better at it than I was. So, I mean, my salespeople are way better salespeople than I am. My accountants way better and more meticulous and detailed than I am. So for me, it's if as delegating a benefit because as they're doing it, the business is doing better and way better than what I would have been able to do on my own because they're much more talented and skilled at it than I am. And there is phenomenal advice. So thanks for that, Sarah. <laughs> Surround yourself with brilliant people who are strategic and better at everything than you, and you can do it all too. <laughs> but but, but I, I love that advice as, as, as much as I'm uh, bastardizing it, but it is really if you can surround yourself with those people and that you can afford to surround yourself with those people as well. So let's dive into some rapid fire. This is first thought, best thought, don't think too much, and let's not expand too much and then we'll we'll call it a day. So why is your social impact important now? We need women leaders. My countries especially need opportunities for girls to step into roles and fight the norms that exist in their societies. Why are you the right person to lead this initiative? Oh, I don't know if I am. <laughs> some days I am, some days I'm not. I think as women, we always think that somebody else would do a better job. I would say there's days where I believe that I'm the right person and there's days that I don't believe that I'm enough. How has beautiful world provided meaning in your life? Oh, that's a big question. I would simply say it as the transformations that I've seen in students. I've seen them come into our program. I've read their applications and just the circumstance they're coming from. And then I go and meet them four years later when they finish and they have a job. And 
I just can't believe what perseverance and hard work can accomplish. It's like that, the belief in the American dream, you mean you work hard, you can make it, it doesn't matter what your background is. I just love seeing that come to life in such a short period of time. Beautiful. That's why it's called Beautiful World. (laughs) What is one thing you wish you knew prior to starting Beautiful World? I wish I knew how to ask people for money competently without hesitation and nervousness. That may lead to your next question. (laughs) What have you done that has made you uncomfortable, but if you didn't do it, you would not have achieved the impact on the beneficiary? I think of myself as a fairly introverted person. People like who don't like to be in the limelight, that's how I would describe myself. And Beautiful World has forced me to get up on stages in front of lots of people and speak my mind about what my beliefs are and my values are and what I'm doing. And it really requires me to be out there in, in a big way. And that's been really hard. Great. Thanks for that. Worst piece of advice you've ever received? <laughs> Oh, I remember meeting with a mining company and, you know, their belief was that I couldn't help the populations that I was helping. I also once I remember I'm meeting with a fundraising organization and they told me because I wasn't a a politician or a celebrity, I had no business starting a charity. Those 850 (laughs) women would disagree. Best piece of advice you've ever received. I've received so many good pieces of advice. It's really hard to identify. I think that's where I've been really lucky is that I've had amazing people. I think initially starting off the working with local partners, finding local organizations to work with, I think that was one that really, you know, as I look at how we formed and what we've become, it's results of that advice and that decision. Which of your strengths do you rely on most to have the success you have achieved? I think it's a combination of organization. I'm very organized, really good at getting things done. I'm a get it done person. So I think that helps like the organization and just getting it done. Wanting to get things done will have me do things that I don't necessarily want to do or things that I'm nervous or uncomfortable doing. But if I say I'm going to do it, I follow through. Beside yours, which beneficiary do you think needs the most investment of time, research, and money? Addictions. That's the one that really stands out for me. I've done a lot of research and reading and watched documentaries about addiction. And I think that is probably the biggest problem we are facing here in North America. And I think that we will see that in other areas of the world as well. But I think addiction and successful solutions that deal with the problems. We have to heal people from addiction and then we have to figure out how to stop it. But first we, I think we do have to heal those people that are addicted. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the, the family breakdown, the challenges, the poverty, I think a lot of the things that we're experiencing in North America, we're seeing right now are as a result of addiction. What leadership advice do you have for people who want to have a social impact? I think know what you're excited about, know what you're passionate about, know what your talents are, be willing to step out and do things that you wouldn't normally want think that you could do. I think it's been stepping out of my comfort zones. It's really allowed me to grow as a person as well as to grow talents and capabilities that I didn't have previously. So I think that's what I would give. Now, we've already established a few times that you have three sons, but let's say one of those sons was 10, and let's say that one son is now a daughter. (laughs) What advice advice would you give today to a 10-year-old daughter? 
I think it's the same advice that I would give to my boys. I think the advice that I'm giving my kids constantly is to do their best to show up and participate and don't sit on the sidelines of life. And if you're going to do something, do you know your solid commitment, your solid effort at doing it. What decisions can you make that's going to lead to you being successful? If you know what going into jobs and fields where there's jobs when you graduate and you can get a job, like I'm a little more practical than follow your dreams. <laughs> so who's the greatest female influence in your life? I'm going to pick a couple of our program partners. We've got some incredible women who are leading our organizations and who are leading our programs. And the humility and the passion and the, the things that they balance and the things they make happen. I'm frequently in awe of all the things they accomplish. I think of one program partner we have, and she's the executive director there. She's traveling all over the country. She has 900 primary students, and she has a couple hundred secondary students, and she has all these students in our program in higher education, and she's got a grandmother's program, and she's got Wells, and she's making all this work as a leader. And I think that's truly remarkable with kids. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? What three values do you live by? Fairness, honesty, and just a commitment to do my best. And thank you, Sarah, for some great insight during this hour together today. And thank you for joining us. For those of you who've joined us live, and if you're watching recording, thank you for watching the recording. You can subscribe to You Me We Amplified Podcast so you receive each new interview notification in your inbox. Please share the interview by going to the share button located on the guest's exclusive page. The interview will be available on podcasts where you get your podcast transcript if you like to read and video as well. And if you want to grow your social impact, join the You Me We Community Win where women leading social impact gather and share, collaborate, and amplify each other's growth. You can visit umiwe.ca community to look into that community. And I'm going to come back and leave the, almost the final words to you, Sarah. So do you have any words of wisdom for our audience regarding making a contribution to society? I think as women, it's really important to just, if there's something that you feel like you can accomplish or make happen to make the world a better place, it's like, try it, tackle it. You might succeed, you might fail. You're going to learn a lot for sure on that path and it's just to have the courage to to try it out and tackle it. I think the big thing for me that really inspired me to action was thinking about the role model that I am to my children. And do I want a role model complaining about the way the world is? Or do I want a model that anybody can tackle changing the world? So I came to a point and I said, if not me, then who? And that was a very powerful thing. Thank you so much, Sarah. Stay with me on the other side. And for everybody else... Make your contribution count until next time and make it count for you, me, we. Thank you for joining us for the You, Me, We Amplified podcast. Changemakers leading social impact in their communities and beyond. For more interviews, visit podcast.youmewe.ca. Until next time, make your contribution count for you, your organization, and your community.